Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on the stripper stage. I am a digital content creator, although I've been really doing such a bad job with my OnlyFans lately. I'm sorry. <laughs> Life is bad in a way. And um, I was a former sugar baby back in the day, and then I'm also a current uh yeah i am a, i am a stripper i will be, i will be stripping this week at shaker show lounge if you are local in vancouver i will be there and let's chat all this week so that is me in a nutshell i have been doing the show for the past couple years or so if you're new here it's all about sex work in terms of uh destigmatizing the industry really trying to provide like really holistic um approach to uh, sharing the lived experiences and stories of sex workers to humanize us because a lot of the times we are not treated as such. So, <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> it's such the truth. Like it is really, really frustrating. So that's kind of why I started the show and it's just been kind of going on and on and on and I can... <laughs> I feel you, girl. I do. <laughs> well, honestly, there's so much content to like speak about. So that's why I just keep kind of rolling with yeah. it. And people keep coming to me. So so that's that. But everyone listening is probably like, who is that voice? <laughs> Who's laughing? Who is that? You may, if you've been listening for the past season and a bit, you may recognize her voice. This is Jessie Sage, I'm actually bringing her back on the show to speak about this huge topic, which is all about privilege. And you might have recognized Jessie from my uh, sex work in the media episode, where we talk about how sex is portrayed, how sex work is portrayed, how workers are portrayed in the media, in magazines, in movies, and all the stuff. Um, she is the host of the Peep Show podcast, uh, also has a media company Peep Show Magazine, Peep Show Media. Am I missing anything? Yeah, no, Peep Show Magazine is good. <laughs> all, all of those things. <laughs> yeah, and I have a new podcast, On the Horizon. Yes, yes, On the Horizon. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe to that. Um, but it's really nice, Jesse, to have you back on. Thank you again for your time today. I'm super excited to chat with you. It's very rarely that I invite people back in the show, but there, there have been a few people I'm like, you have to come speak. You have to come speak. Um, and yeah, we basically, so basically this topic, um, I tweeted something a couple of weeks ago now, was it? I think, yeah. Yeah, probably. Ago. Yeah. Something like that. I said something yeah. about like, I can't remember what he said, but it was something about like, what does privilege look like to you? And then it just kind of struck a whole conversation. And to me, in my very small amount of followers on, in the Twitterverse, like that went viral to me. <laughs> <laughs> like followers so like it got like retweeted a bunch of times and liked a bunch of times and I was like whoa people really want to talk about this so this is why um I'm bringing Jesse on the show we're kind of mixing things up a little bit in terms of format which you'll hear later on the episode but um Jesse do you want to maybe give a quick intro about like who you are first before we dive into the topic um, yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that you asked about, um, when you put up that tweet is, um, how do you consider privilege in regards to like face out or face in? And the reason that I reached out to you is because I've been in this industry a long time, maybe seven years. And I started doing cam work and then I was doing phone sex and then I did content creation. My OnlyFans is also kind of dying because I'm busy. So like I'm with you. 
<laughs> I mean, it's not dying. I just, I just don't have a lot of time. But yeah, and then, um, you know, over over time, I moved into full service work. And um, what I was interested in talking, or why I reached out to you, is because um, I think that th- those are really, really hard decisions. Um, and I. Um, I was interested in talking about this because when I moved into full service work, I'm very, very face out as Jesse Sage. And when I moved into full service work, I created a whole nother brand with a different name that's not face out. And so um, I consider myself and I am like a very privileged sex worker. I'm out. Um, people know that I do full service. Like my face is out. I write a lot. People know what I do. But um, but those are still really complicated like questions about like how you... Um, how you talk about the work that you do, how you advertise, what's like, whether you can get away with advertising, like as yourself, or you need to create like different sorts of personas. And I think that, um, and whether you can have your face out or not. And I think a lot of that um, has a lot to do with, you know, your personal situation, um, whether you have kids or not, like all sorts of things. So I think that, um, I think that when we talk about sex work and we talk about privilege and we talk about like who can do what kind of work and how open they can be about it, it's actually not as complex. It's not as simple as like who has comes from um, who's white and who's not and who comes from like um, socioeconomic privilege and who doesn't and who's educated and who's not. I mean, I think those are all total factors and the sex industry is very stratified and we can't pretend that that's not true. Um, But I also think that, um, this being like a stigmatized and in many cases criminalized profession means that um, these questions are just more complicated than that. Absolutely. And like, I feel like a lot of people wanted to chime in on this and like a lot of people did chime in on this Mm -hmm. to kind of share their experiences and then also like their own stories. Um, I Mm -hmm. think it's because like, it's something maybe we don't speak enough about and something we don't discuss. Yeah. And I think part of, I was thinking about this too. I mean, part of the thing is that most of our public facing stuff is client facing and you, you know, we do like protect our stories. So like, you know, I think that a lot of the things that people see are advertising and I think that sex workers themselves like can sometimes get caught up in that and not know what's real and what's not real and what people's real lives look like and how much money they're making and how successful they are because we don't really have like a measure for that. No, we don't. That's, that's really an interesting point too. Cause then like a lot of it can sometimes be like a facade too. Uh-huh. Like, I was, you, you mentioned money and I was speaking with somebody who was I speaking to? I can't remember who it was recently. And we were just chatting. Oh, yeah. It was my friend Luna Luck. We were, we were chatting about money and how exaggerating sometimes it can mm-hmm. be and, mm-hmm. like, how that can make other people feel. You know, when people do, like, yeah. those money flashes or, like, people used right. to do that a lot, a lot when I was sugaring. People used to mm-hmm. always flash all the money they made and, like, all, like, the Louis Vuitton bags and all the stuff that they got. Right. And it's just, like, whoa, like – as a, like when I was younger, when I was sugaring, I was like, oh my God, I'm not making money like that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But then yeah. you also realize like a lot of people who seem like they're making money like that are also not making money like that. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people make a lot of money in the sex industry. Um, and I think certainly you can make more money um, for the amount of time that you put in than in other jobs, especially in other jobs that 
women that are coded feminine, you know, but, but I think that, you know, all of that is more, is more complicated than that. And a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is posturing and a lot of it is catering to what clients value. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to speak a little about that in terms of like what clients value? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, I've had this conversation with a lot of other sex workers and I think it's really interesting. So we've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, when you're a sex worker, a lot of your compensation, I mean, I don't know how it works for like strippers, but a lot of compensation comes in the form of gifts too, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not just straight cash, you know, and, um, especially if you do a lot of online work, like people will, you know, wish lists are a big thing, you know, people will send you presents or give you things or, you know, I, I joke because I have a, I joke with one of my clients because I call him the nail fairy. And every time I need a manicure or pedicure, I'm like, the nail fairy needs to leave me money for my manicure. I love it. So cute because like, that's his job. He needs to pay for like my manis and pedis. And, um, but there's something about like those sorts of, um, luxury items that make clients feel like they're doing something that's fun and that's mm-hmm. sexy and that like is not work. Like there's something about like mm-hmm. the fantasy of all of this luxury that is more fun for clients than thinking, than being reminded that like, this is our job. And yeah. so, you know, gifting, um, dishes that we need or the elect- money for the electric bill or, you know, um, <laughs> you know, basic necessities, like that's not, um, that's not really what makes clients feel like they're, um, this is a fun, sexy, exciting thing, um, Mm. that makes it feel transactional. So I think a lot of what happens in sex work is that, um, we need to create like a fantasy that makes it seem as if we don't need money, which means that like the gifts and the money that comes in needs to look like they're for things that are completely superfluous that we don't actually need, (laughs) which is this, this weird sort of, um, bit of a dance yeah yeah it is it's a bit of a dance interesting because I remember like when I first okay back to when I was sugaring again too because I remember Mm -hmm. like when I first started like gifts and trips and all the stuff like that was seen as like being a Splenda daddy and um yeah like I remember just like gifts and trips and stuff like that like people would see that as like, oh, that's a Splenda yeah. daddy. Like you need to get cash. And like for me sometimes, like when I was starting out, I was like, oh, like I actually don't mind getting gifts and stuff. And like it was hard for me to just mm-hmm. ask for straight up money. Um, yeah. So like I don't know like how how different that is now or if that rings true to anybody or where they're at or what they prioritize. But I don't right. know if that yeah. like resonates with anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I feel like – it's easy for me to like set my um, rates and be like, okay, these are my rates. But anything on top of that feels like, um, yeah, that it's like a, a dance. And actually I had this funny situation last night where a client said to me, um, oh, I think I brought you a little bit more money than like what it, I owe you. And I was like, okay. And I don't want to be like, well, you could tip me. <laughs> Why are like are you are you asking for yeah, change yeah. or like what what do you need you know and he said um he's like and then he stopped because he realized it was kind of a strange interaction and he's like wait so do people typically tip or do they not tip and I was like 
Yeah. And it was weird oh because I felt like suddenly I'm put in this weird position <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, I really appreciate tips, but you know, I don't, I'm not offended when people don't tip because in full service, like people do tip, but a lot of times they just give you what your rate is, you know, and, um, which I understand because rates are higher. So like, um, it's already a chunk of change, you know, but, um, but it was weird because I didn't want to act like I was offended by the last 10 times that I didn't get a tip from him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, it's like yeah. dancing around like how to say, oh, I really appreciate tips, but I don't expect them. So if you'd like to give me one, go ahead. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you don't want to seem like, oh my God, I'm just in it for the money. But like, even though we yeah. are just in it for the money, yes. It's our job. It. Yeah, that's how we make our money. You right. Know, we're not like, give me a job. Yeah. Exactly. Well, like on that note, like I know that like another uh, another big topic and like some of the comps that came in was was talking about like the difference in rates and like, is that something that you think that comes with experience and versus like inexperience? Like, do you think um, that is yeah? A bit of privilege? And I also think it's like uh, privilege on a lot of different things. Like, I think there's geographical privilege too. Like, people in New York and people in San Francisco just make more money than in other cities and. Um, I actually, when I set up my rates, like have a different rate for New York, DC, Boston, you know, just because they're the, the rates are higher. So if I was to go with my like Pittsburgh rates on tour in New York, I would be hit up like a lot, but not by clients that I necessarily, like, I don't, you know, it's just like, it's not the standard rate in that city. So like, I have to kind of adjust it to that. But I think so. So I think that in different cities, and I understand that the cost of living is higher, but also like you can just make more money in cities where there's more money, you know, obviously. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think rates are so tricky because I don't think that they actually tell you a lot about how much somebody is making, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't know how much they're working. You don't know like what their, what their clientele is like or anything. But I do think that, um, there are like white, I mean, I don't want to like dance around this. Women who are white can make, have higher rates than, um, POC, um, you know, thin women can charge high, you know, I've done a lot of interviewing of, of BBW women because I get classified as BBW. And when I did that, a lot of the BBW women told me, and I actually haven't had this problem. And I think maybe, this is also because I'm kind of in, in between, you know, um, and that's also like a marker of privilege. But um, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the people that I interviewed said that they had clients who told them that their rates shouldn't be as high because they were fat. Um, Whoa. Wow. Yeah. What? Um, and that, that I heard that story many times from people that I interviewed. So it wasn't just like one shitty client. It was like a thing that happens like fairly regularly. And I've heard black women say the same thing. You know, um, I think that I've heard tattooed women say that as well, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, I know there, there is like, um, people who really are into alt women, you know, and who the that's like a thing that they like. But I've also heard um, a lot of people say, and this, I don't, I don't know because I haven't had anybody um, give me a hard time about tattoos, but I have heard people say like, oh, that they've had people say you could make more money if you don't have any tattoos and that rates are higher for, for, for pure, 
whatever that's so bizarre right like you're oh, actually a whore and you're like <laughs> are you a pure whore or <laughs> what degree of whore are you <laughs> right yeah so I mean I think um you know and people with more experience but also I think it's a matter of like what kind of capital you have access to so I think that you know can you you know do you have access do you have credit cards in which you can like book nice hotel rooms for your in calls with, you know, do you have like um, the right sort of like clothes and shoes that transmit like this idea of like luxury? You know, I think that there's so many different things and level of education and all that stuff. Those are very um, non-tangible things, but I think that they're cultural capital markers that we, we know how to, pick up on that impact things like rates. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a really tricky conversation to have. Cause like, also I was speaking with Yana Petrov, who's also another uh, companion here based in Vancouver mm-hmm. actually, but like speaking in terms of like agency work mm-hmm. and independent. Yeah. Do you think they're like, what about that kind of privilege too? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that much about agency work. I have to say like, I yeah, it doesn't really exist in my area. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, or at least if it does, I don't know about it. Um, you right. know, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's more of a thing like in Canada because you guys have like a Nordic model too, and we're just full mm-hmm. criminalization. So, um, but I, I do know that there are people who've worked for agencies in the U.S. too. So, um, but mm. I mean, if you're working for a agency, you obviously have somebody who's taking a cut. So that is a yeah. totally different model. So it's, I actually can't different. really speak to that because I've only That's worked okay. independently. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Like, I'll have to pick <laughs> to yeah. get someone on to speak about that <laughs> in more detail, too. Yeah. <laughs> but you also mentioned some interesting things as well. I will say interesting. I'm not trying to say interesting so much. What <laughs> 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 of my listeners who said that? I'm like, I know, I know, I'm aware of that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you mentioned um, even just, like, geographically, mm-hmm. uh, like, like being bi-coastal is, is one thing just here in North America. And the same thing can kind of go in in – Canada, where I'm from. So Vancouver would be higher rates. Right. Also Toronto would be higher rates. But if you go to like the Maritimes or like the Prairie Provinces, which is like the equivalent of your flyover states. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's not going to be quite quite the same. And even as I'm talking about more of like a global scale, talking about North America versus other parts of the world versus, say, Europe or versus parts of Asia where like sex work is super, super underground. Right. North Americans are put on a pedestal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you yeah. have any thoughts about that? Um, you know, it, you know, I can only really speak to my like experience having like, you know, as a U.S. citizen, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that we had um, on on the horizon on my podcast, we recently had Maya Morena on, who's an undocumented sex worker. And she's like really interesting because she can talk a lot about like what it's like to even be here, but be like undocumented and not be able to have access to a bank account or, you know, other sorts of um, things that impact how you can do work. And, you know, if you don't have access to a bank account, you can't take deposits. And, you know, there's there's like a ripple effect to all of these things that I think make make those things more complicated. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that 
it's, um, you know, if we, we, if you have access to the internet, you know, if you can advertise, if you can screen, if, um, yeah, I mean, I think all of those things have like impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I know, like I was speaking with another guest, um, one of my repeat guests, actually, Salome Salvi from, from the Philippines. And mm-hmm. they have like a cyber sex law there where like sex work is not allowed. Like you can't have an OnlyFans. There's like two yeah. or three people yeah. in the country that have an OnlyFans, but they've like worked through this like loophole that like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that allows them to do that. And like, it, it's, it's really tricky in that way. And like, they've been trying to like make their way over here, but then that also comes with like a lot of different hoops that you have to go through. Right. Yeah. And like that. And like, also I did some research earlier in the year and I wanted to do an episode in this, but I just don't have, <laughs> I just, I just don't have time to do it. Yeah. But <laughs> I did an episode, I did uh, some research with um, some youth, um, youth, youth sex workers, a lot from African countries. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And what sex work looks like over there and just talking about uh, police corruption and mm-hmm. bribes yeah. and that whole aspect that like us here in North America, like we never maybe get to speak about or even discuss. Yeah. Like, in, I mean, I don't want to suggest that like there's not a lot of police corruption in the United States uh, (laughs) that target sex workers in particular and in particular and black trans sex workers, like, you know, the most out of everybody. Mm -hmm. But like, so we do have, we do have that, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I think um, it's a matter maybe of scale and Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I know like a big topic on Twitter was, the topic of being face out mm-hmm. or face yeah. in. Yeah. Like, and I know you have experience with this as well, but like, what are your takes on, on this whole topic? Cause this was like really spicy in the thread. So it was really what? It was really spicy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> really everything spicy. in sex work is spicy. That's why I was a little bit yeah. like, afraid to talk about this stuff, but you know, we have, we yeah. should have these conversations. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot of reasons to, um, there's a lot of reasons to not be face out and there's a lot of reasons to be face out. And I think that, um, I personally like respect all sex workers, like choices that they make, because I feel like we all are forced to make like really difficult choices. And the only reason, um, and I had this experience in which I'm like both face out and not face out, like depending on what I'm doing. And I think like in, um, you know, the bigger, the bigger reasons for me, like not to be face out when I'm like advertising full service, for example, is that like, there's, I know for a fact, um, that there's a lot of facial recognition software that's being developed for the police. And that like one, and a lot of this comes out of Pittsburgh, actually out of like, um, schools that were out, out of Carnegie Mellon was doing a lot of research, um, on this and a company was developed out of Carnegie Mellon called Marinus Analytic. And they're just one of many. And what they do is they develop facial recognition software that they sold to police departments and the, um, all of the like test things that they were using it for, they were scraping escort ads. 
So, um, what? and they were scraping escort ads and they were lining escort, um, pictures up to their, uh, real name, social media. So once you have all those oh, like, um, facial points, data points, yeah. um, they were mapping those on and then they were connecting up like, um, escort profiles to their real name profiles and, oh my um, and selling that information to the police. So I think that, um, there's a lot of discussion about like, whether or not you can get clients when you're not face out, you know? And so do you feel like you have to be face out in order for clients to want to, um, book you? I haven't really had that problem, but I also have like a very different experience that I recognize, which is that like, I built up a following before I went into full service. So now like some of, you know, the people who come to me, come to me like as Jesse and say like, Hey, I get the impression from your writing that you do this kind of work. Like, can we get together? And I'll be like, sure. Like, and I'll still follow all the same protocols. But even when just from ads where people don't know that I am who I am, like, I think, um, I, it's hard to say. I mean, maybe I don't get some inquiries that I would get if I was face out, but who knows? Like, I have no way of knowing what I'm not getting. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but, I do, but I do think that, like, there are a lot of sex workers who are successful who aren't face out um, and that you can be successful and not be face out and figure out ways to um, creatively or seductively um, advertise your services. Um, yeah. But I, um, I think that to say that, um, sex workers who are face out, um, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I didn't follow everything on the thread, like what people were arguing on the thread, but I think to say, to assume that like sex workers who are either face out or who are not face out are more privileged than other ones, um, I think that there's so many factors that go into that and we never really know like why people are making the decisions that they're making. So I don't think that, um, I don't, I just don't think anything is that simple. I don't think that we can say like, Oh, well you have the privilege to be, I mean, here's what I can say. And I do think this is fair. Um, Mm -hmm. white, educated indoor sex workers are not targeted by the police in the same way that, um, trans people of color are. That's just true. And so like, that's a fact. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that we can like unequivocally say like, um, if, you know, you're a white woman, um, living in suburbia and you could pass as like a Stepford wife and you put up your ads prop like, and you can do it face out being reasonably assured that you're not going to be targeted. So there's obviously mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. but, but I think that it's just, it's just more complicated than that because we don't know like who has, um, who needs to keep their identity from like hostile exes who will fight for child support or for um, custody, like who has other sorts of legal issues or family issues or, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think that, um, I don't know that it's, I, I think maybe we can say that it's more, um, that if you're face out because you're not fearing police violence, that you obviously have a degree of privilege, of privilege, <laughs> of yeah, privilege no, sure. No. But I also think that like, it's just more complicated than that. 
Yeah, it's not as simple as you mentioned. Like it, it was really an interesting discussion to have, like especially on the Twitter thread that really just opened my eyes because I always thought, like for me, I'll be honest, like I and again, I'm constantly learning. Yeah, <laughs> at all times. Like for me, I always thought, okay, like you're being face out. That is privilege. And then yeah. we had like a lot of people come back to me, like that's not privilege. Sometimes they don't have the choice, right, to like, be face in, and like I, I have to be out, and like right. that. I never asked for that decision. So right. like a lot of it, then the, the, the question and the conversation then went to, well, what choices do we have? Right. And that mm-hmm. would kind of dictate the amount or the degree of privilege that you exercise. Right. So, and yeah, I don't necessarily think that being like face out gives you more privilege. Like we can also talk about the privilege of like privacy. <laughs> Yeah, that, like a lot of people just don't have. And I think that the conversation, I mean, I really feel like Thought Scholar, I don't know if you follow her, but um, on Twitter, um, the handles Thought Scholar, they go by um, Moses Moon. Yeah, but they've done a lot of really interesting writing on like the dichotomy of this idea of privilege of like in-person and not in-person work. And, you know, one of the um, one of these ideas, and I think this kind of maps on to this like face out or face in too, is, I mean, she talked a lot about the fact that a lot of people were like, oh, well, if you're, you know, working online, you're so much more privileged, but actually like, it's, that's also not that, that simple because there's, um, you have so much more exposure, you yeah. know, when you're facing yeah, so, so you also like have, um, more scrutiny, um, you know, your face, yeah. you have more scrutiny, you're doing like online work, you have way more exposure, you're at greater risk in that regard, in the sense that more mm-hmm. people see you. I mean, if you're not face out and you're doing most of your work, um, you know, most of your screening and everything on online and you're meeting like, and you have low volume clientele, you're probably like the rest of your life is probably not going to be as impacted as if mm-hmm. you're like a cam girl that has 150,000 followers, like, you know, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and I think that it's just not that it's, I, and I keep saying the same thing over and over again, but I think it's just not that simple. And I, I appreciate the work that like Moses Moon has done to talk about like why mm-hmm. these dichotomies of like privileged, not privileged, um, yeah. um, are like really flatten and simplify something that is actually more complicated than that. It's very complicated. And like, that's actually a really interesting take too. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> complicated and you're like interesting you're like that's interesting and I keep saying that's complicated and both of us need new words <laughs> we do I seriously need new words <laughs> like you're, you're mentioning like like virtual work versus in-person work and like mm-hmm. I guess it kind of goes into the next kind of bucket too in terms of like contact versus non-contact work and that that whole idea of the hierarchy in that sense mm-hmm. because there's a lot of privilege in, in that for sure so I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about the hierarchy and the, and the different types of hierarchies. Yeah, yeah. Are yeah. There. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the, you know, the hierarchy are, is this idea that like some privilege, uh, some sex workers are like at the top of the hierarchy and other ones um, are lower in terms of like status and um, social status, social um capital. And usually when I've seen this laid out, I've seen like at the top being people who, uh, have less contact with clients and, um, at the bottom, you know, greater contact, um, 
greater like physical risk. So often it looks like uh, phone sex operators maybe at the top and cam girls and um, porn performers and then strippers and then um, escorts and um, but like I street workers, yeah, yeah, street workers below like indoor escorts. And I think that um, and, and you know, people mix those up a little bit depending on like yeah. how what they even consider sex work to be and all, all yes. of these like complicated things. But um, I don't know. I have to say as somebody who's done probably most things except for stripping because I don't have your kind of skills. Um <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that. Um, but I've done phone <laughs> sex. I've done porn. I've done camming. I've done in-person work. I've done some Dom work. Um, and I think that in turn, like, I, I feel like there's more like, um, there's certainly more, I'm going to, I'm, I'm taking a step back. Cause I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like, there's this idea that you're more privileged if you're doing uh, work like cam work than you are if you're doing full contact work or full service work. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's probably true. There are certainly like less issues of physical safety and things like that. Um, but there is also... I have found that working online is like a much more difficult, constant hustle than it is to do like in-person stuff. And and not only that, but I feel like the, it depends on what we mean by privilege because also you have way more people who are like trying to get a piece of you all the time, 24 seven. It's harder Mm -hmm. to enforce boundaries because this so like online online space um, gives people the impression that you're like always available. I think that um, to be an online sex worker means that you're, you're, you're having to carry like a much, 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 much bigger volume of clients and fans for much smaller amounts of money, $5. (laughs) Um, If you can't be a cam girl, tokens, five cent tokens, like five cents. That's how much (laughs) a token is worth, you know, how, how many tokens do you need to do to get like what you can get for an hour of one client bringing like an hour, um, rate to you if you're working in serve in person. So I think that, um, and also, and I've heard a lot of people who've done both things talk about this, talk about the fact that like, um, the the boundaries are harder to maintain with in person with um online clients and also what they're asking for is often like a lot more invasive and a lot and that's like kind of counterintuitive because you think if somebody wants to meet you um in person and you know have relations with you um that they're Mm -hmm. asking more but like I've actually found that it's a little bit more straightforward than like these online interactions where what they want is like a whole lot of attention um like over long periods of time so yeah you know (laughs) I think (laughs) that um yeah I mean I just think that thinking about this um as you know these and not only that but like the the chance of like your uncle and your mom and like, you know, your sister seeing what you're doing when you're doing like, 
full service work or working in a club or something is so much less than if you're broadcasting every single day for hours and hours and hours. So, you know, I just think that the risks are different. And that's why I like the work that I think there's risks in all forms of sex work, but I think that the risks are different types of risks. And it depends on like, what you're doing. I mean, one of the things that um, I talked a lot to to Moses Moon about where she kind of shaped my thinking about this was, you know, if we're going to talk about why it's safer to do like your work from home, like we're not taking into consideration, what about people in domestic violence situations? What about people with controlling partners um, yeah. you know, <laughs> who yeah. are who now you're trying to run a sex work business as a cam girl or as whatever you're doing with like, uh, abusive partner sitting right next yeah. to you, you know, and so I'm covering. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's just a lot of different ways in which these conversations um, get flattened. And one of the interesting things I found is that prior to the pandemic, just in observing what happens on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. this is, this is my observation, obviously, but like, one of the things I saw is that like in person, a lot of in person full service sex workers and um, doms would talk about like, um, you know, how the work that they did was, you know, so much more involved or had carried so much more risks or all sorts of things that like, I understand where they're coming from. And I also do that sort of work. So I get it. Um, right. Then the people who were doing online sex work and online sex workers were often like, are they even really sex workers? And when the pandemic mm. hit and so many people got pushed to doing online sex work, I saw that rhetoric change a little bit. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, wait, you guys, what, 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 <laughs> how do you all make a living like this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's, um, I think that's interesting. And I even had like a lot of people who like I had interviewed before who'd come on peep show who had only done full service or only done in-person work, um, prior to the pandemic who would say like that they decided to stop for whatever reason during the pandemic or, you know, for health reasons during the pandemic and do only yeah. online content and say like, this online thing is draining. Like there's no downtime yes. from it. It's really difficult. So, you know, and yeah. I mean, maybe that's something you can talk about too. Like who stopped working yeah. during the pandemic? That's also a question of privilege, but. Um, totally. Yeah. Cause I, I know people that did for, yeah, as you mentioned, like health reasons um, to protect themselves. And then there was also people that just kept going either in person, but there was a lot of people who pivoted and shifted and, and just started doing online and maybe just stayed doing online. Right. Yeah. It's also a matter of like, I really think that, um, I think that the hierarchy ought to be like dismantled. I think it's kind of ridiculous. It's detrimental. It's It's ridiculous. And it sets up sex workers to be like at, um, like uh, to think of each other as like enemies instead of like banding together to look at how, I mean, you know, I think that when FOSTA SESTA hit, for example, like so many Mm -hmm. full service sex workers were like, yeah, uh, we're coming for you next. And are they're coming for you next? If you're not going to stand up, you know, for all of the people who were doing online sex work who were like, well, that's not me. Um, you know, <laughs> then we had like Pornhub <laughs> kick everybody off, you know, and yeah. OnlyFans claimed that they were going to do the, the same thing. thing. Payment processors shutting down. And so like exactly. really what we need to be doing is like banning together. And if we're like separating we're up everybody and deciding like who's legitimate sex workers and whose problems are bigger than other people's problems, I think that that um, isn't super useful. On the other hand, no. On the other hand, I do think that we ought to recognize that there are just like, uh, that some people are privileged over other ones. And for that reason, I kind of think that we should, 
I don't know. I, I'm saying this and I'm like embarrassed saying this because like, why am I talking about this? Um, I kind of feel like we should, <laughs> you know, create space for people who are more marginalized to like come up in the yeah. you know, conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. And like the fact that we even have to say that is like, I understand the embarrassment because it's just like, this should just be common sense. Like we, to me, it's just, it just makes sense to include everybody. But like, as you mentioned, with the hierarchy, it just separates all of us and puts us, pits us against right. each other and makes us all really, really competitive. Right. And, and really also like all forms of sex work are, are work and all forms are, have their own sets of like challenges and risks. And part of it is just like, what your like risk tolerance is and what your personality is. Like I was good at phone sex and I'm good at in-person because I like the sort of like interpersonal stuff. And I was a terrible cam girl because I do not like entertaining a crowd and I would be a terrible dancer for the same reason. And I think, (laughs) I think it's a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to talk about it as if it's not just also like, where your skills are um, and what you mm-hmm. like doing better and what your personality is. And are you a um, entertain entertainer or are you like a, do you like the one-on-one interactions? Do you, yeah. do you want to, um, you know, do you like uh, physical like touch or do you want to be able to serve your clients without any touch? I mean, I think that all of that, um, is also just a matter of preference that we shouldn't be putting on the on a hierarchy. Yeah, no, that's really, really great. And I'm so glad we, we talked about that and brought that up into conversation. Um, This conversation, I, I know one person said like, oh, I'd be talking about privilege. You're really brave. Good luck. I know. Good luck. I, this might, we might just be like canceled after this. I don't know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I hope that we had brought up some really good points and like, we were able to hopefully display both sides and both like different perspectives. And, and after Jesse, I let you go. Um, not, not quite yet, but, but soon um, I will be reading out some things that people, what, what people decided, what, um, what they think mm-hmm. privilege is or what their own definition of privilege, what they think is privilege in sex work. Yeah. And then at the very end of the show, I'm going to have some different voice memos from actual That's sex nice. workers yeah. to share yeah. stories. So so yeah, but like, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Like, what are some closing notes here? I think like, well, privilege to us or, or to me, my takeaways are like, there's privilege in varying degrees. It is, it really depends on people's situations because it's not just one blanket yeah. <laughs> thing. And, and as you said, yeah. it's not, it can't be so simplified, right? Right. So I also think that like yeah. intersectionality is important to recognize because you can't Absolutely. just- you know, you can't just say like, oh, well, thin workers make more money than fat workers and white workers make more money than black workers. And because all of these things like interact with, uh, you know, they, there's like overlapping oppressions that I think need to be recognized because they change the shape of somebody's experience. And so, yeah, I mean, for that reason, like, that's what I was saying, like, I'm kind of uncomfortable, like, talking about, like, how I can ex- compare my experience to somebody else's experience, because I don't think that I necessarily can. And we all come to this work for, like, very different reasons. reasons. And, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we didn't talk about that I think is important to say is that, like, a lot of sex workers are 
in sex work um, because they may have disabilities or they may be mm-hmm. caretakers to people with disabilities or yeah. they may be parents that just like um, have to be home with their kids because their kids have special needs or, you know, there's all sorts of reasons that people come into it and we don't know what those reasons are. And yeah. um, so I think it's really easy to like get on Twitter and say, oh, well, she shouldn't be talking because she's privileged when you um, or, you know, uh, all sorts of things like, you know, yeah. Twitter, sex work Twitter can be kind of a hostile place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it can be, yes, it can be. <laughs> um, but we don't know. We don't know how much we, we don't actually, we assume a lot of things about people and that we don't know. Um, yeah, and we just don't know what kind of situations people are in, what where their mental state is, what they're emotionally thinking and stuff, yeah. too. It's all the invisible yeah. things that we, one, don't talk uh, enough about. Mm-hmm. And, and two, like, it's really, like, it's 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 hard to say or put everyone in a box right. and be like, well, privilege and not privilege, you know what I mean? Right. It's just, yeah, you just can't do that because there's all sorts of factors that go in and we can't, um, you know, one of the things about sex work, one of the reasons that sex work is so diverse and that there's all these different types of sex work and all these different types of sex workers is because sex work is an industry that has a low barrier to entry that like the, um, wages are high for the amount of hours that you work, uh, by and large, like in comparison to other feminized labor, um, that, uh, you can do from wherever you are, um, that you don't need a boss to do. So there's all sorts of reasons why people who, um, you know, are pushed out of the, out of conventional employment, like end up in the sex industry. And we ought to, I think we ought to think of that as like a, a strength and recognize that most of the people that are in sex work are probably there because um, because that fits for them better than other forms yeah. of employment and that it should be good enough reason. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that we, don't, we, we should, shouldn't even be asking people why right. they're going to expert like that shouldn't even be a question do we ask like my sister why she wants to work a certain job or like right. my boss like we don't ask that stuff like we don't have to ask that stuff yeah and we, yeah. we need to stop like asking people for like this kind of validation it's yeah. really really yeah. dangerous mm-hmm. so yeah yeah but this conversation was really enlightening and I'm so glad to have invited you back on to speak about this like you're such a great resource and Everyone who is listening who is curious about Jesse's other episode on the podcast, it's episode 71. So be sure to peep that and peep her peep show podcast as well. And <laughs> on Horizon. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was good, yeah. <laughs> that was super good. But there is more on the episode. So I'm going to continue the episode. I'm going to let Jesse go because I know she has a lot of stuff to do today. But Jesse, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at sapiotextual. And I have a website, jessiesage.com and peepshowmagazine.com. You can check out. And on the horizon, that's W-H-O-R, like horizon. So you can find that anywhere you can find podcasts. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, everyone else, um, stay stay listening, stay on here because it's going to be more on the episode. But Jesse, thank you so, so much for joining me today. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and staying with me. We have so much to go through. Um, and I really want to kind of shout everyone out as well. Um, some people requested to have their names and their handles. 
attached with their comments because basically I, I had asked on Twitter, like, what does privilege mean to you? What is privilege in sex work? And have people define it themselves. So I'm just going to kind of go through the list. It's a quite a bit here. So I'm going to try to do my best and then stick to the end because there's going to be much, much more. So yes, the question was, what does privilege mean to you? What does privilege in sex work mean to you? And Narcissist by Nature mentioned the fact that you don't get to you don't get hard labor and you are gifted with the sexy marketable body is the privilege. Jay Sneaks mentioned, I think thin privilege can be a thing in sex work. Yes, as we've mentioned on the show today. Body by Blunts mentioned rates and screening, which we also mentioned. Rosy Skies uh, mentioned being conventionally attractive, which is another big one. Um, we have Lovetron, the privilege to be able to have good, reliable um, equipment and sex toys. Uh, the privilege to be able to do it inside over the internet. Um, Bellatrix Sweets mentioned having other options, family support, being white, thin, conventionally attractive. Simplicity Dad Serena mentioned also I think it's important to differentiate privilege from basic rights. Yes, we didn't really get to go into that. Um, we, The person also mentioned doing any kind of preparation for sex work as opposed to being thrown in due to circumstances. Yes. Receiving adequate mental and general health services. Choosing what kind of work you don't want to do because of enough financial security. Big one, big one, big one. Pretty Epitome mentioned being face out as we talked in the show. H-H-N-A-N-H-H. Being able to pick and choose your clients. Set higher prices. Being cis and white. These are all, all great, great things that we have discussed in the show. Have we mentioned here as well and also just really hard to ignore so thank you everyone for contributing all of that I really wanted to make sure that we spoke about that because there was just so much that came in and now for the last segment of the show I know we usually do some Q&A and stuff but I decided to kind of switch it up this time around so there was so much of an uproar on Twitter that I really wanted to include everyone's stories and include their real voices as well so we have some stories here, some voice memos from um, a varying amount of sex workers in the Twitter sphere that really want to kind of pitch in their opinion on what their experience with privilege is or, or how privilege has affected them or maybe it hasn't affected them. All these stories, which are super, super intimate, so raw. And, and thank you for the few that have contributed. I'll be playing them in shortly. Stay tuned. We're going to start off with actually a submitted, a written submission from one of the sex workers on Twitter. So I wanted to shout out, she also wants to use her name as well, ERP God. But again, um, the question was, how do you see privilege in the sex work community? So it's a little bit long, so bear with me. I have an odd relationship with my position as a sex worker. I absolutely love my job. I feel so free to be myself. I feel like I excel creatively and I can be the healthiest version of myself. But I feel free to do so because I can do my job behind a screen. I do not have to be touched. I barely have to be seen. As a virtual sex worker, I feel I do have privileges that other sex workers don't. Yet, at the same time, who am I to decide that? My kinks with VR, virtual reality, are very real. And if a sex worker who does more in real life work enjoys that, then that is valid too. 
I feel like I've adapted to loving sex work, but I also recognize that I've adapted to sex work within a society that frowns upon sex work. Do I frown upon sex work? No, I love it. So did sex work ever truly make me feel bad or did I just feel bad about it because society taught me that it's something to feel bad about? I've done a lot of things in my life and I've had a lot of different jobs throughout my lifetime. From working on cars to working in a laboratory, I'm well-rounded in employment experience, but I've never made as much at any of those jobs. I've never felt as safe and secure financially as I do when I'm simply being my sexual self to entertain others. I enjoy it because I feel like I get to be more myself than I ever have anywhere. Yet in the same breath, I also feel disheartened that my skills have never been worth as much within anything else. Even when I was working in a lab, which to me seems of much importance, I couldn't envision the kind of security that I feel being a sex worker. I feel like deciding if this was truly my choice or not is a very complex question to answer. But what can I say? is that I'm happy doing it and has brought about a lot of interest in my life to study sexuality and work to try to help others with theirs. I'd like to be a sex therapist in the future and utilize VR as a telehealth option for people who feel like that works best for them as a communication tool. I don't want to make being a sex worker a case of having to throw my dreams of academia away and having to choose between the two. Instead, I want to combine them. Working in sex work is giving me the privilege of going back to school so I I can obtain the proper credentials to try to effectively help people in the future. It is not a dream that I would see as viable without it. With the use of technology and the internet, I am able to create sexuality or sexually stimulating content by using visual art and sound. I do enjoy incorporating my body into that, but it's something that I can do at my leisure and it's not really required of me. For me, this makes it easier to survive as a sex worker living with disabilities, chronic illness, and pain. Anecdotally, I find that a lot of my friends who are also sex workers are also disabled, chronically ill, or experience chronic pain. It's not just exclusive to just sex workers though, but throughout online content creation generally. I feel like that is a complex situation that is hard for me to touch base on without my head going in a million different um, different directions. But I think it's important to think about. Why is that? We are living in a time where people can stay at home, broadcast their skills, using their body to some degree for hundreds, for thousands, maybe even millions of people a month to see. For so many people, that way of life seems more appealing than going out and working in social situations. I feel that we are very privileged to have the tools to make that a reality. They are choices that have not always been available, and I am sure that during those times, questioning whether sex work was a choice was far more mentally taxing. I feel blessed that I can express my sexuality do my homework all within the same space of how far technology has come. I also feel blessed in getting to choose my own schedule and I have a lot of control in how much energy I put into situations. If someone makes me feel unsafe or or overwhelmed, I can instantly block them and they are gone. That makes me feel privileged in that I can prioritize being safe over being nice. I really know one to say whether my position in sex work is better or worse than anyone else's. All I can really identify is that I am happy and that I feel safe. I think that is important and I think is what we all hope to achieve through doing whatever work we choose to do so in the long run. I think we all want to feel like we are surviving in a secure way that isn't causing us a degree of stress and makes us feel burnt out or like we are dying. I believe that being able to achieve that is a necessity for our survival.
I now want to share a voice memo from Adora Bautista on Twitter, and here goes. This is Adora Bautista talking about my experiences with privilege and sex work. I've been a sex worker for over 10 years now. I started with stripping and have done a lot of different sorts of types of sex work, including camming, phone sex, full service. I've been pretty privileged in my line of work. I don't feel like it was a last resort measure. However, there have been times, I would say, for most of my career that I've struggled very badly have feeling taken advantage of. But on the whole, I'm grateful for the experiences that sex work has given me. One thing that's interesting to deal with, especially as an online content creator, is that of fetishization in my race and ethnicity. Technically, I'm multiracial. I am half white and half Asian, and I feel the pressure in order to stand out to fetishize my Asian side, and it makes me very uncomfortable, especially since I have a lot of fans and followers who obviously seek out my content because of that. However, I don't think that my race detriments my work, unlike perceptions of other races. I don't feel like I have to pretend to be white, for example, to fully white to make good money online. At worst, it's just that the fetishization of my race and ethnicity make me feel uncomfortable. I don't consider myself a face-out sex worker. However, I do produce some content that does show my face. For example, on my OnlyFans and other VIP subscriptions, I will upload some pictures in, vi- in quick videos that do show my face, or sometimes I will upload clips that show my face. And then for especially custom pictures, people can pay $20 to see a picture of my face. However, I don't share photos or videos of my face publicly. There's been discourse on whether or not being face out is a privilege. Some people say that a privilege is something you can't change. 
that you can't control. For example, you can't control how old you are, what your race is, but you can choose whether or not to show your face or not. I do consider being faced out a privilege though, and there are many reasons for why I say this, but coming from a pretty conservative culture, I'm not talking about living in the United States, but from my the Asian side of my family. It would be very looked down upon within my family if they found out I was a sex worker. I don't know if I would be disowned or what. When I lied to my parents about working as a waitress in a strip club, they threatened to disown me. And I can only imagine that the reactions would be worse if they found out what I actually did and what I've done since, what I'm doing now. I don't feel comfortable within my family, within the greater world, exposing who I actually am, what I do for work. I do think I could make more money if I was face out, if the people in my personal life knew what I did, but money isn't everything. I can't see myself being happy, being disowned by my family in order to make a lot of money by being face out. I'm currently pregnant, due to give birth in the next month, and it's been worrying, not just because this is an unexpected pregnancy, but I'm planning to go about it as a single mother. And in a way, you could say that sex work is good for this. For example, it would probably be pretty hard to hold down a traditional job with a more rigid schedule. It would be hard to hold down it. It would be hard to hold down a normal job with a more rigid schedule when you're caring for a child on your own. But with sex work, I can change around my schedule the way I want to make money and take care of my child. For example, I went on tour for the past couple of months to save up a lot of money. I can choose a few hours a week to do cam shows and the like. 
I can schedule a few hours at a time to not just create content, but upload content to my OnlyFans, schedule it out weeks or even months in advance, make money off of that. Nevertheless, I still see being a single mother and a sex worker as I still see being a single mother and a sex worker as a hard path to go down. For example, while I mentioned that you can schedule posts on OnlyFans, there are a lot of other platforms that there are a lot of other platforms that don't allow you to schedule out your posts. I mostly gain my OnlyFans subscribers by using the site Trist, which is mainly for in-person providers. However, I get my most subscribers when I go on tours because I show up, my profile shows up in more locations, but because I am not, I won't be able to tour for a while, I can only really set my location to my home location, which means my profile is going to get fewer views, hence fewer people to subscribe to my OnlyFans. I wouldn't be surprised if my, if my subscriber count drops by more than 50% by February. I would love to do some touring again in the past few months. I visited cities like Chicago and Anaheim, California, and it was very lucrative. However, as a single mother, how am I supposed to go on tour again? Then there are escort ad sites that don't allow you to advertise online services at all. With Trist, I mentioned how they allow you to post your OnlyFans links, and they have a section where you can post prices and descriptions for virtual services. But other sites are very strict about not allowing you to post about online services. How am I supposed to how am I supposed to advertise my virtual services in the adult platforms I'm on if I can't use mainstream social media sites? like Facebook or Instagram. I think all of my adult Twitter profiles are shadow banned. Not to mention on sites like Reddit and Twitter, a lot of those people are just freeloaders versus on Trist, a lot of the people who are roaming through profiles are more than willing to spend money. 
which I'm pretty sure you can find on a lot of escorting sites. And if some of those escorting sites don't allow us to promote our virtual services, then, then single mothers like me are just kind of left in the dust when we can no longer do in-person work. Hi there, I've been asked to um, just voice some of my concerns and some of my experiences being a face out um, using my real name provider. I'm also a white provider, so I know my, my, my privilege is being a white provider. I don't look at my face being out as being a privilege. Um, being in the industry for many, many years, um, being face out really takes away all of your privacy. You know, I'm catcalled in, in airports, I'm catcalled in malls, I'm catcalled in stores, I'm approached in stores, I'm um, approached when I'm with my children. Um, I think that when you have children, it's important to keep them safe. If you don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation with them um, regarding sex work and that you are a sex worker, um, then being face out is probably not an option for you. Um, because your kids will find out eventually and they need to find out from you, not from their friends who have seen your ads on social media or on Twitter. That is one of the reason why I use my real name and I'm face out is because I've had people come up to me when I'm with my children using my fake name and it's inappropriate and unhealthy and goes against all of the boundaries. Like, heaven forbid if we were to walk up to a client when he's with his family, correct? But for some reason, it seems like the boundaries lack on our side when it comes to our safety and our boundaries and our children and keeping our kids safe. Um, so for me, being face out has also, you know, if you think about it, there I've got 14,000 followers on Twitter. I don't know what they look like, but they know what I look like. So sometimes it's scary. It's scary being in a crowd of people knowing that at least 10 of those people know who you are, but you don't know who they are. So sometimes it's, it's, there's a fear factor involved as well. Um, stigma, society, social media, all of that makes it very difficult to be a face out, um, worker now. Um, uh, I regret it. I, if I could do it again, I would not have my face out, but I am so well known at this point and uh, it, it's, it's not even an option to rebrand at this point. So I just continue to be face out. I have the uncomfortable conversations with my children and I carry on with my days, but you know, advice to other sex workers, I would probably not be face out today. Have a great day. And oh, I, I'd like to add also that as I became more popular on Twitter and social media sites is when it became more uncomfortable. Thank you. And lastly, we have Ellie Fox, who will be sharing a little bit about their experience as well. Hi, Sia. Thanks for having me. Um, just wanted to start by saying that I love the lecture that you gave for FSU. And now I'm like legit gonna binge listen to your entire podcast. <laughs> um, also, your lecture is ironically a great entry point into what you wanted to discuss, which, um, which was privilege. The people that you were lecturing were probably all somewhere, what, between the ages of 18 and 24? 
I would say. And probably through privilege, education, tuition, and circumstance, they all got a front row seat to your vast repertoire of experiences and got not only to ask you questions, but to have you directly answer them. And that right there, I think, is privilege. Um, and from, from my own point of view, if you may, um, I'm, I'm kind of like you in, in, in that I got into sex work after my mid-20s, which is considered late in sex work years because <laughs> everybody gets in at like 18. <laughs> but, um, but by the time that I got in, which was, I was, I want to say like 27 or something like that, um, or maybe later, I, I don't remember very much. Um, it was like 2017. I had already graduated college. I had a full-blown career in risk management. I had money. I lived in South Beach, which was teeming with escorting demand, sex work demand. And, you know, the privilege that got me all those things is the same privilege that allowed me the choice to drop all of it get into escorting and set higher and higher hourly rates the more I learned the ropes. I mean, that's not to say that I had a smooth ride. Um, there's a learning curve. I think there's a learning curve that we all go through as sex workers. Um, I had a seeking arrangement phase too and was like, uh, nope, not for me. Um, I found out the hard way that the amount of emotional labor that some of those guys on those sites require is out of fucking control. Um, uh, also, I had to learn the racial politics of sex work in my particular location in Miami. Um, there are these like sketchy as hell quote unquote agencies that target newbies depending on their race and ethnicity. Uh, when I started out back in, in 2017, um, one of these, one or two of these agencies tried to recruit me working eight to nine hours a day, six hours a week with like a super minimal percentage of the hourly rate. And to top it all off, they wanted the girls to even do the agency's own bank deposits. It, it was like, I mean, the definition of exploitation and like illegal. <laughs> um, but but they target like I noticed that they target Hispanic girls because when when they messaged me, they messaged me in Spanish. And I I, I didn't post any I didn't post anything in Spanish in any Spanish websites or like back when Craigslist had um their uh sex work friendly uh uh option I I never put anything in Spanish but they contacted me in Spanish so so they're seeking out people that look like me and, 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 and I'm pretty sure that's because they assume that they're either undocumented, uneducated, or in desperate need. And then on the flip side, you have, you can, you can literally go on arrows. I don't know if you can put it on, on your, on your podcast. You can edit that out, but you can go on, on, on arrows.com and, and search young, educated European model and find a plethora of profiles with like no bio, 
no description, nothing but a picture of a 20-year-old girl and her height, weight, and measurements all in metric system. So, obviously, somebody that's not from the U.S. <laughs> um, not, not that that's, that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, when you look at a picture of a, of a girl that it, on arrows, which is like a very, like, a very straightforward escorting website um and and it's a picture of a 20 year old girl that looks not not just coy but hesitant it it like it makes you doubt a little bit and and then top that off with absolutely n no description of her other than than a picture um so so there's there's just there there's flip sides to every to every privilege, there there comes a downside, I would say. And I guess the point I was trying to make is uh, with the European, the young European models, is is that they're they're very much allowed to charge a lot more money than uh, the Hispanic girls. If you look it up, uh, the Hispanic girls uh, can range from two hundred to like. 300 or 400 an hour whereas the quote-unquote european models uh charge from 600 to a thousand dollars an hour and and at the end of the day you don't even know if all of that is going to her or an agency so many great responses here i am so touched and so grateful to have been given the opportunity to to speak to so many people um, that have reached out during that file tweet and I just wanted to say that I recognize my own privilege in the sex work and this, this episode really truly meant a lot to me and really shown a lot of things that you know I had never considered before so thank you so much for listening it's going to be new episodes every single Sunday uh, don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe. And we'll catch you in for another episode next Sunday. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Artwork by Maria Bellandorama. Music by Ted D. And photography by Ian Dabern. Yeah, yeah.